Hi, I'm referee Mark Fralick. Thanks for joining me today for episode three of the High School Basketball Referee Podcast. I actually have two guests today. Married couple Ben and Aaron Levine join the show from their home in Cincinnati, Ohio. They originally met on the basketball floor as officials. Ben's story as an official begins with baseball. He was a professional minor league baseball umpire for eight years, climbing all the way up to double-A ball before exiting that part of his career. He talks about how his minor league career has helped his high school basketball officiating. His wife, Erin, joins us for the second half of this episode. She has worked two state tournament games and provides some great insight into the high school basketball officiating game. Both Ben and Aaron were fortunate enough to work a girls' state tournament game together in 2019, and uh, that was real exciting for both of them. Um, And so I think you're really going to enjoy what what both of them provide for this podcast. Uh, As a reminder, uh, this podcast can be heard on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, as well as other, other podcasting platforms. And also, can you do me a favor? Uh, no matter which platform that you're listening to on this podcast, can you please review, rate, or sub- and subscribe? Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at anchor.fm uh, backslash mark-fralich. And that's mark-fralich. And that's F-R-O-E-L-I-C-H. I hope you enjoy this episode and take the time to listen to previous and future episodes as well. Enjoy. Thanks for joining us again this week for the High School Basketball Referee Podcast with Mark Fralick. And today, again, we welcome Ben. And uh, Ben, nice to have you on the show. It's great to be here. Appreciate you having me on. Yours is an interesting path to me. Uh, when I looked at your bio, um, you began officiating at age 14, probably like a lot of other young kids. They get involved in the umpire, uh, umpiring Little League Baseball. Um, but you took it a step further from there, and and you continued on that path of baseball into the minor leagues. But let's stop back. Let's step back into when you were fourteen, and doing umpiring little league baseball. I'll bet you have some some interesting things maybe that that happened back then that really taught you a little bit about the officiating world. Yeah, um, I I probably have I got lots of stories, and and I definitely. Um, help it helped me grow up a little bit because getting yelled at when you're that young um it definitely helps you mature and uh, man i have some stories i have some guys not necessarily that i remember specifically but um that that i wish i could go back and and eject those coaches like 15 <laughs> 20 years ago because i you know when you're 14 you don't know any better and you just wear it sometimes but um i think i was hooked like honestly the first the first time i went out there and did it uh, I was hooked on officiating. I, you know, I went out there and I worked a 12 year old little league game and made 27 bucks for an hour and a half and I rode my bike work. And I thought I was King when I made $27 and the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And you're down in the uh, baseball capital down there of Cincinnati. Right. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> know, you know, everybody, a lot of people up here like the Indians, and they like the Tigers, and, and, and there's a few Cubs fans up, up here. But, you know, I've always been a Reds fan my, my entire life. And, uh, and so it's nice to be able to 
Are you a Reds fan, by the way? I shouldn't say it's nice to talk to a Reds fan because I don't know if you're a Reds <laughs> fan yet. I, I, I follow the Reds. I do. Um, you know, being in the minor leagues for so long that you kind of get brain that gets brainwashed out of your head. <laughs> and, um, you know, I've certainly had a couple run-ins with guys <laughs> that, that are now you know, on the big league roster for the Reds that, you know, I, I see that guy pop on TV and I say, Hey, I don't really like him. <laughs> um, my wife makes fun of me cause I spend more time watching the umpires and uh-huh. talking about the guys I don't like than I do actually watching games on TV. <laughs> well, that brings us to the next step is, is that your baseball career, uh, in umpiring really, uh, took off and, and you ended up in the minor leagues. Uh, what a great accomplishment that must've been for you. And, and tell us a little bit about your minor league baseball journey. Even though this is a basketball podcast, we want to kind of get a behind the scenes look at what you did. So, you, you headed to the minor leagues. Were you, uh, were you in Class A, Class AA? Where did you go to from there? And just give us a little bit of uh, uh, insight on what happened. Yeah, so I graduated from the University of Cincinnati uh, in December of 2010. And at that time, uh, the state of Ohio was kind of in a budget crunch, and they were laying off teachers. And I had an education degree, and they were laying off teachers, not hiring them. So I decided to go to umpire school. Um, went to umpire school. Uh, was fortunate enough to get picked up and offered a position. I uh, spent eight years. I um, last three years were in at the class AA level in the Eastern League. My first, uh, all my time in A ball was you know a different league every year. Um, but I mean it was a it was a really fun ride and, and I met a lot of good guys and uh, it's kind of funny. One of the silver linings of COVID has been um, that. Uh, about 13 or 14 big league umpires opted out. So actually five or six, uh, I think six now of my former partners in minor league baseball have gotten the chance to make their big league debut this summer um, on the roster. So it's been awesome to see those guys and cheer them on. And, you know, I turned on a Reds game a couple weeks ago and Eric Backus is working second base. And, you know, he was like, he was on my crew one year in double a, so it's been cool. It's very cool to see those guys uh, have success. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, when you when you look at your minor league uh, minor league schedule and the people that you had to deal with in minor league, sometimes those conversations can be pretty tense. What kind of things do you think you maybe you learn from in minor league baseball that has carried over to your basketball officiating career? Oh, there's absolutely um, a, a lot that I learned, and um, you know, I think the biggest thing is is just dealing with people. I think when I was younger, earlier in my officiating career be it basketball or baseball um i had a tendency to get angry uh and maybe take things personally and i think just the journey and and dealing with some of the characters you deal with uh it really helped me um kind of be able to channel that and learn to manage people better Um, because you can't manage people uh, in pro baseball or anything you know high level pro college sports you're not going to last doesn't matter how well you can officiate uh if everybody hates you um you're you're not going to be around and and uh one of the biggest things i probably took away was uh, one of my supervisors recommended me the book verbal judo which is a great book um learning to kind of deflect personal comments and diffuse situations um and kind of develop a it's written from a law enforcement perspective but it's got a lot of parallels to officiating where um 
where you can deflect certain things and and then develop a relationship with someone, even if it's just a working relationship, so that you can both get through it. Well, that's uh, that sounds like that was uh, very very valuable, and that's a lesson, really, I think, for a lot of uh, a lot of officials that they can take into game, whether they're new or whether they're experienced officials. That not taking comments personally really um, really is a big deal in officiating, isn't it? It is. And there's obviously some things that that cross the line, and then you deal with it, mm-hmm. and and you, you you put your warning you put your warning out there, you know, you deal with it if you need to deal with it with whatever the sport happens to, you know, technical foul, ejection, warning, penalty flag, blah blah blah. But you really have to develop, you know. I hate saying a thick skin because it's not a thick skin, but you gotta, you know, when they cross the line, they cross the line. But until then, you gotta try to to just develop that working relationship. Yep, and that's that's very critical. Um, in your, uh, we talk about in your career uh, beginning here, um, you probably ran uh, ran with some very in- influential officials. And as you look back, you know you started officiating uh, at the University of Cincinnati in intramural intramural basketball when you were a freshman. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you've learned a lot in that intramural ball and dealing with, dealing with and managing the game and dealing with the players. Um, I worked YMCA basketball, um, right when I first started getting into varsity, um, buddy of mine, uh, took me over to, to that and had me work it. And boy, I learned a lot about dealing with people at that time. So, but we all do that when we work leagues like this, but what, what kind of official, uh, has been influential to you uh, along your journey? Um, I think from a basketball perspective, um, I have been very fortunate to be mentored by, um, three or four guys around this area, Southwest Ohio area that have kind of, they, they saw something in me back when I was, uh, you know, a 20, 23, 24 year old when, you know, maybe even younger than that, maybe 19, 20, just starting officiating at the high school level. And they saw me work a freshman or JV game and they saw something in me that made me, you know, made them want to help me. And they, those guys have helped me so much. Um, you know, a couple guys, around here matt velton um i you know i gotta mention kevin larson guys like that that are veterans have worked at the college level in years past and those guys have taught me so much and just if i could give any advice to younger guys it's just you know listen listen to what guys are saying because it's invaluable yeah, it really is, and and we had previous conversations with um, my first guest, Dr. Denny Morris, and and also uh, Tim Gebhardt, uh, who was on last week, and and we always talked about uh, how important that is to be a mentor to other officials, especially when you're first coming up. Um, do you remember your first varsity game? Um, I gotta say, I don't know if I do. Really. Um. I'm trying to think. I remember my first varsity baseball game, but I don't know if I necessarily remember my first varsity basketball game because I think it all just kind of happened where one year I was working JV and I was, you know, calling all these signers and tech and emailing them. Hey, like, I, uh, you know, staying hungry. Hey, I'd like the chance to move up. I'd like the chance to move up. And then one year, all of a sudden I went from nothing to, you know, I got 20 or 25 or 30 games the next year. And, and I, I don't know. I think I, 
it's tough to say, but I don't, I honestly, I honestly don't. Well, one game I'm sure you remember, um, is state in 2019. Uh, I do where you worked in, in Columbus and uh, tell me a little bit about that game and some of the things that you might have learned. Um, cool experience. Uh, it was, ended up being a really, really great game, which always makes it more fun. I think it ended up being a, I don't know, maybe a four or five point game kind of went back and forth the whole way. Um, it was a girls division two semifinal, I believe. Um, and, uh, I really had, I enjoyed it. had a lot of fun. Um, had some, uh, had some interesting, interesting situations a couple times that, um, you know, that we got right. So that was good. And, uh, had some things to, uh, had some things to learn from, had some things to receive feedback from, and that was great. And, uh, I got to actually got to work that game with my wife, who's also an official. Um, interestingly enough, uh, people think we met teaching because we're both teachers, but we actually met officiating high school basketball. And people people always laugh; they don't believe that, but it's true. Well, that that so. was going to be one of the questions that I was heading toward. But um, let's go ahead and and talk about that uh, before we get into the first quarter. Uh, let's talk about uh, both of you and and how that uh, how you met on the basketball floor. Yeah, I mean, we had ju- we just known each other for. Um, she tells us she tells the story a lot better because she always <laughs> says oh yeah we just knew each other for forever and you know we we always worked being that we live in the same area and you know just kind of across not not even across town and we had crossed paths a lot of times and worked together but um one year uh i think it would have been like december 2014 into into like january february of 2015 um we worked I, I swear, like, for, like, four or five different assigners, we must have worked a game or two a week together, including on Sundays and, and uh, you know, doing, like, the little kid stuff, like the fourth grade games at 3 p.m. on a Sunday. And so we just – we saw a lot of each other, and, um, you know, we decided to – we started dating, and I got the courage to ask her out, which would have been pretty embarrassing if she would have said no because <laughs> been in town, but uh, it worked out. So – we got married in 2016 in the fall, and uh, we now have a one one and a half year old kiddo. Wow, that's great! No doubt, a, a future official, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, the question I'm sure you're asked quite a bit, and I don't know if you're going to answer this or not. Who's the better official? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can answer that on the air without getting. Uh, I mean, who knows if she'll listen to this or not. So maybe I won't get in trouble, but I'm not, I won't answer it on the air. <laughs> well, that's she's where got more, she's got more state final fours than I've got. So she uh, got me there. Okay. So let's move from the pregame onto the first quarter and let's talk a little bit about coaches and, and, and helping out other officials, how we can help out other officials when they have to deal with, with any coaches throughout the game. Uh, let me ask you this. How do you maintain your professionalism when a coach is, is in your face and how do you remain calm? And I know, again, we talked a little bit about this with your minor league baseball career. Um, are those principles still involved in this? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the biggest things is you got to, when somebody crosses the line, they cross the line. And when they don't, they don't, but you got to keep in mind that that coach may have, even though you got the call, right, that coach may have a, 
just a reason to be angry because it just might be a big juncture in the game or something. I think going in, going into it with that mindset um, and just being, being professional above all, like, I mean, I got that drilled into my head when I was in the minor leagues is that you kind of, you're always on camera. There's radio microphones, the game's being webcast on the internet. You're always on camera. So you never want to do anything um, that's unprofessional. Uh, You know, you develop a, you develop a really good poker face. And I think also keeping it short with explanations um, will help out a ton. Uh, Guys, sometimes I see guys spend way too long trying to explain themselves or trying to make an excuse, not necessarily a good excuse or a bad excuse, but just keep it short and simple. Tell them what you saw. Tell them the rule. Hey, coach, this is what I saw. This is what the rule says. Let's and move on. And then if they want to continue yelling, they can, you know, they can hang themselves, you know, but I think that's what I would say with that. Sure. Are there, do you, are there any specific encounters with a coach that might help bring value to those who are listening right now that you've had anyways, any specific encounters with, with coaches? Um, I'm trying to, I'm blanking on maybe details or, or like, a. A, a name or a, or a location, but there's been two or three or four times in my career where somebody was just going like, just going ballistic, uh, about something. And because you're able to be an active listener and kind of empathize with them, Hey, look, I know you're angry. I know you're upset. I get it. It's a big call in the game, but it is what it is. Like, this is what the rule says. Um, you know, just that, that ability to empathize with their situation a little bit, even though you are convinced that you're right, uh, is, is key to that. That's the end of the first quarter. So let's head on over to the second quarter and uh, talk a little bit about the players and how we can work along with the players uh, dealing with communication. So what can you say uh, about working with the players? What's helped you the most uh, in, in your officiating? I would say communicate with them. Uh, communicate a ton and uh, don't don't be uh, afraid to don't be afraid to listen don't be afraid to talk to them um, you know don't even be afraid if they kind of come at you a little bit to just engage them in dialogue because sometimes just like the coaches the players can be uh, the players can be hot about something just because it's a big juncture in the game and I've heard especially at the high school basketball level a couple times they'll say, well, you know, an official will say, I'll listen to a coach a little bit if a coach is wearing me out, but I'm not going to take it from a kid. I'm not going to take it from a high school kid, or I'm not going to take it from a college kid or whatever. They're a kid. They, they can't, they don't need to say anything to him. And I think it should be the total opposite where if, if they want to come, even if they're a little bit angry, Hey, I hear you, man. Like I'm willing to talk to, I'm willing to talk to players. I'm willing to build those relationships because even in later in that game, if you have shown yourself to be approachable and somebody they can talk to, that might save you from having a situation or having an argument or having a technical foul. Obviously, um, during my baseball career, a lot of the way up, I saw a lot of the same guys because I'm an East Coast, you know, Eastern guy. So I worked a lot of leagues. I was placed geographically where several teams I saw almost my whole career. And if you develop those relationships, 
you know, you call a player by name. It's a lot easier to learn players' names in baseball because they announce them on the speaker and they put the names on the scoreboard. We don't always have that luxury in basketball, but just being approachable, calling a guy by name, like saying hi, like cracking a joke during a dead ball, asking them if they're having fun, tense situation, they come at you a little hot instead of flipping out, giving them a technical or yelling at them, hey, I hear what you're saying. Just talk to me. I think that goes a long way. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. There are There's a lot of times that we can utilize that communication and officiating, and, and we call that proactive officiating, where you can use your voice. And there's a lot of instances in the game, not only do you talk to a player directly, but um, there are other instances where you need to talk to the players, for instance, uh, in the post-action um, entry passes, uh, when they bust the cutters, things like that where you can talk to the players. Do you use your voice quite a bit uh, in that instance, in those instances? I definitely find myself talking a lot during live balls. Um, and, you know, all the situations you just mentioned, you took the words right out of my mouth. Being proactive, uh, talking to them early, especially in the first quarter game, you know, hey, be stopped on a screen, get your hands off, stuff like that can go a long way to, you know, just making you have a smooth game, you know, could be the difference between you having a, a game that goes double bonus, both halves, that's a hack fest and everybody's angry or, you know, hey, you tell them early and they listen, makes your game easy. All right. Well, that brings us to the close of the second quarter. We're going to head to halftime right now. We're going to take a little break. So we'll be right back. Hi, I'm referee Mark Fralick. If you would like to advertise in this space, please contact me by sending me an email at markfralick at hotmail.com. Hey, welcome back from halftime. We're back in the third quarter. We have a special guest right now. Um, ben talked a little bit about uh, how he and his wife officiated the state tournament uh, in 2019. And she just obviously happens to be around the house. So, Aaron, I want to welcome you to the High School Basketball Referee Podcast. Thank you. We talked a little bit in the first half, or for, yeah, in the first half, uh, about officiating and a variety of different things. Uh, I'm not going to ask you who you think the better official is because Ben wouldn't answer that either. So, <laughs> <laughs> but let's. <laughs> so for both of you and the rest of these questions, uh, really both of you can kind of answer these. But in talking with other officials, uh, maybe before a game, uh, you know, we know that communication. Uh, with fellow officials really can help the crew dynamics. Um, so what do you do? You know, we have the pregame. We always talk about what we're going to do in a game. But what do you do during the game to improve the crew dynamics? Well, it, I mean, it all depends on who your crew is. Um, if you're working with people that you have worked with and that you're really comfortable with, um, I feel like during the game, you know, like you just give each other looks and you know what, you know what you're thinking or, you know, you give each other a signal that goes, okay, that's a good call. Or as you're coming to the, you know, like as you're transitioning or switching, you go nice call or thanks for getting that. Uh, I think it's tougher when you're working with people that you don't really see eye to eye with. In those cases, you've got to be a lot more vocal. And it, and some cases you got to go into halftime and go, okay, let's get out the board and this is where we need to be in this situation. And this is what we screwed up. And, and you just got to be really open. You can't tell, you can't go, we're doing a great job. If you're not, if you're having a bad game, you know, like when it comes to halftime or when you get together there, you got to go, okay, we got to tighten it up. 
we got to get better here. Yeah, it can be tough to have those kind of conversations too. Like we've all got relationships. If you've been doing this for a while, we've all got people that we know well and that we have, you know, you forge some great friendships and you trust people that you've worked with a lot. And sometimes it can be awkward to talk uh, to, to have those conversations and be honest with somebody you may not know because you don't want to step on their toes. You don't want to offend them, but for the sake of the game, you know, you really, you got to almost kind of use people skills. You don't want to offend anybody and just go in there and, and, but sometimes those tough conversations are, Hey guys, we need to shape this up. Like we got to change the way we're calling the game. Like, I think especially like when you get a timeout or when you get a, a break, a quarter break, a halftime, obviously talking about how the game has gone. Um, hey, we need to start matching. We need to start matching our block charge calls a little bit better. We, you know, what did you have on this? A, you know, asking, asking your partners for feedback is so uh, important because sometimes you can get in your little bubble and, and you don't really realize maybe somebody, maybe your partners are seeing stuff that you're not seeing from a different angle. You didn't even realize you had a bad look at it. And then your partners can give you some good feedback and say, hey, are you sure about that? I looked like this and you called that. And, you know, you just got you got to have those conversations, even though they're tough to have sometimes. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, you know, uh, maybe the the people in the stands or, or uh, other people that are around the game really don't understand some of the conversations that officials have whether it be at timeouts or even at halftime. And those are really critical times to have those conversations because um, if things do get out of hand or, or if, uh, if you don't have those conversations, um, you're looking at a second half that could mirror the first half, which is not really what you want to have happen. Right, especially from a game management perspective, if you've had some tense situations with players, coaches, etc., Sometimes if it's a if it's a 37 point game and both teams are in a hug fest and they love each other, you know, you can talk about okay, where are we going to eat? Where are we going to get dinner after the game? Like whatever, where are we going to get chicken wings tonight? But, you know, most of the time you really got to be locked in and have, you know, use that time wisely. Yeah, you really and do. You, yep, go ahead. Even if you get along with your, you know, like even if you do see eye to eye, there's a lot of times that you just need to make sure that everybody knows game situations. You know, at the end of the game, it's critical that you know who's in bonus, you know, who's ahead, who's behind, who's got timeouts left, stuff like that. Like, all of that needs to be discussed, like, constantly in that fourth quarter if you're in a tough game. If you had to go back and give yourself advice when you were a younger official, now both of you are relatively young, but uh, if you both had to give yourself advice when you first got into officiating, what would it be? Go to camp, go to camp, go to camp, go to camp. (laughs) I mean, it it is. I mean, you learn so much when you go to camp. I don't think I went to camp until, like, my fourth year officiating. And by then, I thought, oh, I'm good enough to do varsity. You know, like, I'm in relatively good shape. I've been around the game since I was six months old. Like, I can do a varsity game. And then you go to camp, and you learn everything that you're not doing right. Because there's a lot of times that you just don't you don't you don't learn that on the JV court, and sometimes the varsity you know you don't even know what to ask the varsity guys when they come in there. So and sometimes they don't give you anything. They just go, oh, "You're doing a great job." But when you go to camp, people are honest with you. So that's my advice: get in camps as early as possible. Yeah, I can second that. And um, 
especially as a young official, somebody who's developing, somebody who's trying to move up to get that first varsity schedule, to get that first sectional or district or regional or state game or whatever your goals are. Um, it's, it's important to get that feedback. It's important to, it's easy. I remember when I was a young official working a lot of JV games, I used to stay and watch the varsity games and think I'm just, I could do that. I'm just as good as those guys. And the more you go to camps and the more you uh, get feedback from guys you trust, like the guys I mentioned earlier, like the more, like the more, you know, the more you realize you don't know. And, and that's so important to get feedback and to, you know, just be open and, and don't, you know, don't think you know it all right away and just keep, keep soliciting feedback and keep learning from it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what about for the officials, the young officials who are moving up, they're, they're getting a varsity schedule and they're preparing for their first big rivalry game. Um, how do you prepare for a big rivalry game? Do you think it's any different and how would you, what would you recommend to uh, a younger official maybe uh, officiating in their first rivalry game? I think the biggest thing you're not going to, it's just another, it's, it's just another game as far as what you're going to call and what you you can't treat it any differently just because it might be two rival schools. You're not going to call less fouls. You know, I, I never believe in, Oh, this is the way this conference plays the game. This, these two teams are rivals. We're going to let them, we're going to let them get away with a little bit more. We're going to let them let the kids play the, let the kids play, let them play is like the worst. Uh, it's like one of the most detestable phrases I think in officiating, like the kids decide the game based on what they do. If they foul, they foul. If they break the rules, then we, then we enforce the rules. Um, but I think the biggest thing, if you got rival rival schools, you know, it's going to be tense. Um, is is knowing the game management aspect of it is that if something happens unsporting behavior players talking um you got to deal with it early uh you got to monitor your off ball officiating you got to monitor your dead ball officiating um and you got to know that probably the coaches are going to be a little bit more wound up because they want to win it um this is you know it, it means a little bit more to them when they're playing a rival school so the coaches are probably going to be a little on edge so i talked a little earlier about you know kind of empathizing with them obviously they cross the line they cross the line but if they come and glued you know just moderately or whatever and they're just pumped up because it's a big situation or if it's even if it's just early and they drank a couple too many cups of coffee and it's the first quarter and they kind of yell like hey come on man like just talk to like you know be relatable to them talk to them until they prove that they're not going to talk to you tonight if they're really going to ride you and they're going to be jerks about it then now they you know they've drawn the line you, you give your warnings you know you do what you got to do but you got to realize that everybody players coaches fans everybody in that gym except for the three people that are wearing stripes are probably going to be a little bit more turned up for that game yeah, in any big game you have, you have to make sure that you have a great pregame. You have to make sure that you guys are on the same page from the beginning and then you communicate through the entire game. I think that's key to having a to having a good game as a crew. What's the scariest thing that ever happened to either of you on a court, maybe uh, maybe on the court, maybe off the court with either a fan or player interaction or, or a coach or anything like that? 
I um, got elbowed in the nose when I was I was young and doing a varsity game at a school that only used two men. So they weren't a sanctioned high school school, but you know, it was a varsity game, so I took it. And it was a two charter schools. Um, and the fans were rough and the game was rough and two moms started fighting in the stands. Well, I'm six foot, so I think I can keep these kids on the court and the girl at the foul line tried to get to her mom and I stood in her way and she did a swim move and elbowed me right in the face. <laughs> and then all hell breaks loose on the court. And this was a girl's game. It was crazy. <laughs> so how'd that end? <laughs> uh, well, we were in, I think we were in the third or fourth quarter and we called the game at that point. At, you know, like at that point, the cops came to separate the kids or separate the parents, and it was over. We were done. Wow. We called it. Wow. Yeah. Ben, it's the can, only game that ever stopped early. Ben, can you top that one? Um, no, I've never been physically assaulted. <laughs> uh, I've been hit with baseball many times and, and, and had lots of pain. And I have the only thing I've got in from a basketball perspective is, um, a couple unfortunately i can say a couple uh there's been two separate occasions uh where after a basketball game at the high school level i have had to like literally we had to barricade ourselves in the locker room um and lock the door and we had to have one time um it was Cincinnati police. There were two officers that were the security details on, on duty. The two officers escorted us out. And, and another time, uh, I believe it was Butler County Sheriff's Department had to escort us out um, because uh, because we had a, a small mob of angry losing team fans that were waiting for us uh, that wanted a piece of us. Wow. And it was going to be about 35 against three. So thank goodness that uh, – you know that Cincinnati Police Department and the Butler County Sheriff were were there and, and and there to you know protect us. Here's an interesting one. Uh, I had heard this on um, another show, but uh, what is the best advice you ever received from a coach? Be approachable. I feel like sometimes there are people, and I feel like women and especially coaches don't find approachable, and I don't. I have no idea why that is. But I feel like my biggest my biggest downfall for a long time was being able to talk to coaches. And, and I feel like being the only woman on the court has something to do with that because the guys on my crew had no problem talking to coaches. But I didn't. And one coach, one coach when we were talking after the game, said, hey, you need to be more approachable. I said, okay, like, you know, it's good. It's good feedback. So I think that was the best advice I'd ever gotten from a coach. Yeah. Anything, Ben? Uh, I I shouldn't I, I shouldn't answer the question because I've been cussed at so many times by minor league managers that I just you know there I'm sure there's been some along the way, but honestly, most of the good advice I've gotten is from mentors. So that's the end of the fourth quarter, and now we're going to move on to post game. And there's only one question in the post game, and, and you know some of the best parts, and, and we talk about this on our previous podcast, some of the best parts of officiating is that brother and sisterhood. 
Uh, a lot of times it's the drive to the games. It's the, the post game uh, afterwards, uh, wherever we decide to go after the game. Maybe it's the drive home that can be a favorite part. So would you guys agree with that, that that's some of the best parts of the game and, and any stories that you want to share that uh, that you can share? Oh, absolutely. I <laughs> We got lots of them. I started working over in we're we're in Cincinnati, so right. we're right on the like right on the river. Um, and I started working over in Kentucky uh, varsity before I got Ohio games. And there aren't many people that do both sides of the river, but we're so close that that I did. And I started to move up. I moved up in Kentucky first, and then started to get Ohio games. Well, I you know I'm from Ohio and school in Ohio, so a state game in Ohio has always been my goal. But I still am over in Kentucky and probably do 10 games over there a year because they go to Applebee's after every Friday night game and they do girls Friday night games over there. So, you know, like you do a Friday night game over there and then go to Applebee's and hang out with, you know, people that you've known forever and tell war stories. It's always a good time. So I feel like I'm still an official in Kentucky because Applebee's exists. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you'll be getting your gift card from Applebee's right, right after yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, well, that, you need to get a sponsorship deal for that, for the podcast. We're going to go to commercial break now. <laughs> Buy Applebee's, two-for-one appetizers after PM. Yeah, I mean, I can say that. I, I've developed some some great friendships over the years. Um, I'm fortunate to have uh, two guys that are – also kind of in their 30s i think one of them just turned 40 this year so we went to his birthday party like that just goes to show you how um you know how you develop such great friendships but i we kind of all latched on together because we're you know we're guys that we we trust each other and and you know i think on on a typical friday night unless you know unless i'm at talawanda and one of them's at batavia and one of them's at like Lebanon, which no one outside of Southwest Ohio will know. But unless you're like on opposite corners of the world, like we pretty much try to get together, um, you know, on Friday nights. And and there's one or two leagues around the area that have actually allowed us to work as a crew, which is awesome. And and it's so much fun, you know, working the games is great and going off the, going off the court and, you know, just knowing that you, that you've, that you gave it everything you got and you gave it, you know, you did right by the game is great. And then like the kicker on top of it is that you get to spend time with people that you trust and people that are going to be lifelong friends. I mean, it's, those really are sometimes I've driven up to, you know, I've gone up, gone up North up to like almost, almost the Northwest district. Sometimes on a Saturday, a veteran guy will, will take two of us younger guys and say, Hey, let's go drive up. I know an assigner in XYZ County and we'll, we'll ride up there for you know an hour and 20 or hour, 30 minute drive. And, and you know, the three hours in the car is, is probably, you know, one of the most fun parts of the whole day. And then every now and then you marry one of them. <laughs> <laughs> So now we just finished our post game. We go into a little bit of fun. We have, you know, officials have to make quick decisions all the time. So we're going to do a little bit of a lighthearted five quick decisions section. And this is how we're going to end the podcast today. So um, hopefully you're prepared. If not, uh, that's that's even better. 
So <laughs> question one, best food you ever had at a basketball facility? Now that could be some things like they food, you know, a lot of times we get fed at games. So that could either be that or maybe concession stand food, best food you've ever had at a basketball facility. It's always got to be nachos. <laughs> Never go wrong with that. Uh, yeah. I mean, other than just concession food, concession stand stuff, you know, there's some schools that'll get you a pizza or bring you a couple hot dogs, but there couple of the schools in our district um they'll have like a hospitality room if they host a, a sectional tournament or whatever and you know i you know tournament last year we had chick-fil-a yeah, we did yeah chick-fil-a last year at a regional game like yeah, i don't know like there's skyline dip everyone outside the 270 loop has no idea maybe some dayton people do but some cincinnati chili dip uh has been in a crock pot at a couple hospitality rooms um so that's so that's pretty good, but a lot of places, you know, we're just grateful to have a have a pizza after the game. We appreciate the schools doing that. Sure. Uh, outside of the Schottenstein Center, because you can't say that one. What's the best floor you ever worked on? I think my favorite. Um, there's a gym here in the area, not necessarily Cincinnati, but in Hamilton, Ohio, um, which is outlying Cincinnati. It's it's a 40 ish minute drive from from us. Uh, Hamilton High School. It's a very relatively new facility, maybe eight, ten years old. They've got one of the floors that has like the rubber layer underneath of it, so it flexes when you run. Um, big court. Uh, you got lots of space to get out and run. Ninety-four foot floor. They got like ten or fifteen feet behind the baseline, so you don't have cheerleaders kicking you while you're trying to work. Um, you know, I, I love working there, and they they. Uh, They've hosted some regional, not regional, they've hosted some sectional and district games uh, for many years. So it's nice that they, they're willing to do that, too, because they've got a great facility. Mine's a really dumb one. My favorite court to work out in, in Ohio or Cincinnati area is at McNeck High School. Because when I was in high school, I always had really good games on that court. <laughs> so I feel like I love that gym just because I always played really well there. So I think I officiate really well there. How about the toughest floor you've ever worked on? I think Schottenstein has to be the toughest floor I've ever worked on. It's so big. And then it's hard. it was hard to find the scoreboard there because, I mean, obviously there's the Jumbotron right above you. Uh, and the scoreboard is in the, like in the top deck, you know, like below the top deck. The LED board. Yeah, and like the LED board. So it's hard to find the fouls and hard to find the timeouts and hard to find how much t- the score, I guess the, the, uh, the, uh, the time was on the shot clock. But, but I feel like that was really hard to work because it was so different than anything we were, that I've been used to. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Like I've been fortunate enough to work on a couple of those floors. Um, you know, they play those higher level games, those, those regional and state games a lot of times at the college arenas. And it is different trying to get used to locating your game info. Um, and, and that that can be big because we talked about communication and knowing game situations earlier in the podcast. But I think the, I think the hardest ones are, are when you get a packed Friday night and there's no room to work. Um, and I hate, like, I hate working when there's not a lot of room to work. Like, on the side, some places you go, it's an older gym. You got nothing on the sidelines, so the coaches are on the court. They just They literally have nowhere to stand. Like, they stand up and they're on the court. Sometimes you got either stands or a wall that's five feet behind the baseline. Um, one of them I can, I can definitely say I don't miss 
is the old Glen SD High School on the east side of Cincinnati. Uh, from the baseline to the wall, there was about four feet. Um, so you'd get kicked by cheerleaders about ten times a game if you were working <laughs> there. Um, and that they uh, they consolidated the school district and built a beautiful new facility about three, two three years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't think any officials are going to miss working at Glen SD because that place was uh, it was a shoebox. <laughs> What about the funniest thing a player or a coach ever said to you? I I don't know if I can think of a specific one, but I always think it's fun, um, not necessarily to make fun of them or anything. But I think it's fun. I think it's funny and it's lighthearted when the coach complains about how bad their own team is playing. <laughs> um, I mean, like that's like it's like you know I talked earlier about being approachable and, and being you know being able to relate to people and being able to empathize. And sometimes they like, sometimes they make comments where they're, they're, they're not always yelling at us. Some of the good guys out there are, you know, they're, they're lighthearted and they'll make a comment. I can't believe that, that this guy did that this player just did this. Can you believe, like, can you tell my players how to play better? Cause they won't listen to me. Like uh, it's, it's fun. And, and I've got a couple stories from from baseball days that that are not appropriate for the air <laughs> that that several managers have come out and got ejected uh, because their team was playing so bad that they basically said, I can't watch this anymore. So I'm going to yell at you um, for 45 seconds and then get thrown out. Um, stuff like that is, is what I get a kick out of the most. What was the funniest thing that you've ever been told by a fan? I think the funniest is when the students from the two schools start to get into each other a little bit and, uh, you know, razz each other. If you've got a, a good crowd on both sides and the students start chanting at each other, they're like, hey, they're not chanting at us. They're having, It's fun and I'm laughing at them and they're not yelling at us. They're yelling at the students on the other side of the court and then those kids are yelling back at those kids and you can just enjoy it. Although I was really proud of myself the first time I had a cheering section yell, take her whistle. <laughs> just like I felt accomplished. Hey, we want to thank uh, Ben and Aaron for taking the time out to uh, to spend with our podcast and, and help officials and kind of tell their story. We appreciate the time that you both spent with us today. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you were able to take something away from this show that helps your officiating career. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the High School Basketball Referee Podcast with Mark Fralick, you can listen on Spotify or Apple or Google Podcasts, along with several other podcast platforms. Please review, rate, and subscribe. And if you'd like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at anchor.fm backslash mark dash That's Mark dash and then it's f-r-o-e-l-i-c-h thanks again i hope you enjoyed the podcast and thank you for listening